I did get a diagnosis at the end of last year that just made me realize that, uh, you know, the future isn't ours the way we think it is sometimes. And so I really wanted to work through my bucket list and focus on the things that I don't want to have regrets on. And first and foremost for me, that's spending time with my 13-year-old son, Ethan, and really starting my own business. And so I'm prioritizing things to make sure I take care of those two things first. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have for you Mike Burns, who is the Chief Information Officer over at Benko Dental, which is the largest privately held dental distributor in North America. He's had an untraditional career, starting over in software development, a detour into sales operations, and then back over to IT, which now encompasses traditional IT, but also enterprise-wide project management and continuous improvement. And then on the big news front, after 11 and a half years at Benko, he's actually quitting in May. He's moving on. He's making the transition to start his own business in the fall, focused on generational AI. Mike, welcome to Lead the Team. Thank you, Ben. Great to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. There are so many angles we can take here, but let's start out with LinkedIn. You went public with your resignation on LinkedIn, and I quote, the good news is I'm not dying or anything, which I appreciated that. Just a diagnosis that caused me to rethink the way I'm prioritizing things in life. And it is what has led me to this decision. I'll be staying on through the end of May to offer what help I can to help the help find the right replacement and to make the transition as smooth as, po- as I possibly can. Yeah. Wow. On LinkedIn, man, you're just yeah. like putting it out there uh, with some humor. Yeah. <clears throat> what was that like when you hit enter that day? You know, it's interesting. I, I wasn't planning on putting out the message there that day. Um, you know, I communicated internally to the company that I was going to be leaving and my inbox started blowing up with people saying, hey, is this true? This can't possibly be true. And I was like, I, I don't want to answer dozens of these messages one at a time. Mm-hmm. I need to get a message out so that people understand what's going on. Um, and a lot of them were folks interested, you know, in applying for the job, folks I've worked with at Benico and other places, there was just literally hundreds of people that wanted updates. And that was the easier way for me to communicate it. So after, yeah, you're after 11 and a half years, you were probably an establishment at the establishment, right? You, Absolutely. You're embedded. There are folks on our team whose entire careers have been working under me in some form or fashion. And so they're like, what does this mean when my CIO moves forward? There's only ever been one, right? Like, so it's, yeah, that's different. And so uh, you went on LinkedIn and it looks like you got a lot of positive responses. I did. I I feel nothing if not supported and appreciated and loved by the people I've worked with. Like it's mutual. Uh, That's what the people were what make companies special. And Benko has a great, great group of people. And so it was really hard for me to step away from them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it looks like you're going the extra mile to try to find your replacement. Absolutely. Uh, really trying to leave them in the best spot possible. What's the response that you're getting from them? It, hugely appreciative. Um, 
it's one of those things where I, I really wasn't planning on leaving my job this year. So sort of a surprise for me as much as it was, you know, the people around me, including the ownership of Benko. Not going into too much detail, I did get a diagnosis at the end of last year that just made me realize that, uh, you know, the future isn't ours the way we think it is sometimes. And so I really wanted to work through my bucket list and focus on the things that I don't want to have regrets on. And first and foremost, for me, that's spending time with my 13-year-old son, Ethan, and really starting my own business. And so I'm prioritizing things to make sure I take care of those two things first. Beautiful, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. We had those moments of inflection. You're like, oh, yeah, it helps us remember maybe our dreams, what, how we want to prioritize things yeah. in general. And so you're using this to get into generational AI. What is generational AI? Um, think GPT, right? So, yes. and, and that's a whole lot of technologies. People think mm -hmm. just chat GPT, but you can use these transformer models for everything from images to um, protein folding and but it's been fascinating. I, I was an earlier adopter. I've been playing around with this stuff for the last, say, 18 months. And I think you've had other guests on the top have talked about it. In my opinion, this is almost an inflection point in the business industry like the internet was back in the 90s. And so I think we're looking at that level of an inflection point. Mm. And so as I look at the opportunities around, now's the right time to try to ride that wave. And so what is the business you're getting into? With it. You know, it's interesting. I have had, I've been planning on starting a business for years and eventually it was going to be a few years out. Um, but really, you know, I, I visualize it that I'm driving down the road towards this destination and I've got all these technologies that have interested me. As I'm driving down the road, I literally see a unicorn over here, right? I'm stopping the car. I'm getting out. I'm paying attention to this thing that's happening in the world. And so really over the summer, going to take a deep dive really as a sabbatical into AI and okay. spend all the time I'm not with my family. Because while I have ideas right now, I'm not nearly as close to the underlying technology as I want to be. So giving myself the time to focus on really getting deep into it over the next three months. And then uh, I will announce to the world where we're going after that. Cool. So you're envisioning a business that that's a service or a product or all the above or product, definitely a, a SaaS product. Where, where I'm seeing right. is, I mean, Benko is using, we're using these technologies all over the place. I, I could give you hmm. a half dozen places where we're already making a business impact and okay. everything from um I'm not sure if you or your guests have used them but we are using them to match job descriptions to job postings to career okay. ladders like they can massively helpful for that we're using it pretty obvious things like our help desk is actually automating the triage of incoming technical tickets with these tools already um so it's interesting as i work with the executive team at benco really getting everyone excited about these technologies. We have use cases in every single functional area where it changes the way that all these professions can be done. And so just revolutionary stuff. Wow. Yeah. And so you've been really working with artificial intelligence inside of Benko for a while, and that's where you've. Yeah. Trying to figure yeah. out how to, can, how can we leverage this stuff and apply these lessons that I've learned at Benko across other businesses in the future. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's so funny. It's like, I've been working on this stuff for 18 months and how quickly I suspect things have changed in 18 months oh. and, and accelerated. Completely. Everything then is that uh, this is the fastest change I've ever seen in the technology industry as well. I mean, honestly, I wrote a business case on some things about two months ago and to a large degree, it's already outdated, right? So it's, things are just moving that quickly. Yeah. And so if you're 
you're getting out your crystal ball and you're saying, Hey, I want to get more involved with this. That's right. And, and take a swing at it. Where is this going to be in three or four or five years from now? You mean the AI technology side of things? Mm-hmm. Um, I wish my crystal ball was that good, right? So I think one of the things I've noticed is individual solutions that come out of this end up just being features of the tool. I think the way I'm thinking about Sam Altman, who's the CEO of OpenAI, had Mm -hmm. an interesting perspective, which has changed my thinking a little bit, which is fundamentally what this does is reduce the cost of intelligence. Like it, it always, for my whole career, right, we have paid for the thinkers to solve problems. And really what this does is sort of democratize some of that level of intelligence. It's going to change academia completely. My wife's a college professor. That whole industry is being shook up based on these changes. Um, Oh, yeah. Right. So it's as you change um, how we think and, you know, how we think and how we write with these tools, it's hard to really predict what all the implications are for me right now. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if other people see it, but I do think it's a democratization of inf- access to information. Um, yep. The way I you know, approach some of the things with the schools uh, that my wife works for and I've, I've offered to get involved with my son's school with it, telling these kids that they can't use this technology is a little bit like telling someone they can't use a calculator to solve a math problem, right? Like I think at the end of the day, it raises the bar for what we expect from people and gives them a tool to help achieve those those solutions as well. Yeah, it's it's a tool that people are being confronted with in a very direct way suddenly with chat gpt absolutely and it's definitely and we were we were with some friends on a boat ride yesterday and my daughter's like well, i want to lo-, she's like i want to log into chat gpt on your phone dad and she's 12 i'm like no we're not doing chat gpt on the boat right now <laughs> but she's just like i want to ask it something i'm like no <laughs> like just file that away and we'll do that later uh plus i could i could not remember my login i couldn't remember my password <laughs> But yeah, it was like, you know, it, it it's funny how they, they demand access to it. Now they're thinking about it. Um so going back to your departure, uh maybe for people, so I, I've made this leap myself from corporate uh, years ago uh into my own business. Um maybe help people understand since, since you're really close to this decision now, what are the emotions sort of swirling for you? What are you most excited about for making the jump from corporate after 11 and a half years? And what are you most maybe concerned about from that standpoint? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So it's it's interesting for me. At the very, you know, 20 years ago when I started my career, I was doing small side businesses, right? So including a small technology startup and really enjoyed that. But one, didn't have the knowledge to make it successful, didn't have the resources to make it successful. And so I, I really went into the, the corporate world for the last 25 years or so. Um, as I come into this decision now, a lot of emotions. If, if you've went through this yourself, you understand there's excitement, there's fear, right? There's a lot of personal doubt, I would say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm one of those people that has a little bit of, you know, what they call the imposter syndrome. And it's one of those things where I think I can do it, but the proof's going to be in the pudding. Can I actually do it, right? And so there's a bit a bit of a leap of faith here off a cliff, hoping that the, the skills I've built are going to get me through. Yeah, that's, that's so good. I remember it well. I um, I kind of did a, like a, a side hustle for years and had a feeling that, you know, I knew of, okay, if, if, if I left tomorrow, I would just spend more time, which it sounds like you're planning to do is spend more time on what you want to be growing, 
I mean, you're in corporate, some people say, well, you can just do a side hustle for years. But it was amazing when I, I thought I was dedicating plenty of time outside of work and I had it, but it real, but when I did make the change, I realized how much creative capacity was freed up because I'd been utilizing so much of that in my corporate job. Yeah. I didn't realize how much it was just sort of taking all that from me. And so on the so on the nights and weekends when I was doing my other work, my writing and doing some coaching and presenting and whatnot, training, uh, it wasn't as much energy left for that. Absolutely, it's like a huge creative burst. But yeah, fear is part of it too. It is, <clears throat> and it's interesting too, right? Like, I spend a lot of my time right now helping early stage startups with some local nonprofits in the area, and okay. I love helping other, you know, young entrepreneurs figure it out. And it's a little bit of a thing where I love helping them so much that I, I want to try my own crack at some of these ideas I have. And, and yeah. sounds similarly to you. I, uh, I have to be all in on something, right? I'm all, I've been that's, all in on Benko. It consumes every waking moment. I wake line. up yeah. thinking I go to bed thinking about it and I can't really have two masters. So for me to take a crack at this and give it a fair chance, I, I have to let my focus go there. Yeah. It's, it's liberating. It liberates that capacity to go all in. And it is hard to, and I, I did the foot in both worlds for a while. And I thought I was doing such a good job, but eventually you just hit that wall and you're like, I'm never really going to know until I do it. Yeah. And so it's, but, but it's hard. I, I suspect you've been powwowing at the house with your team, your son, your wife, whoever mm -hmm. to, uh, Hey, yeah. I mean, it's a lot, a lot of conversations. Yeah, it is. And leading up to it. <laughs> Very much so. So to the point where in, I'm an analytical person, right? So putting decision trees together and even thinking through yeah. that and, and having other, you know, calling friends to me and like, hey, like, check my work here. Am I making reasonable assumptions? You know, tell me where my plan is going to break down yeah. and, and really trusting the village around you to help make That's the decision. Awesome. And yeah. Yeah. And making that decision. I, I like how you're going about it. How you have your team at home, you have your other friends outside of work that you're, you're navigating it with. And when I left corporate, I really felt like my corporate team was cheering for me uh, and they were supporting, which it's, we, you're going out the right way. I think from that standpoint, they're probably going to be cheering you on too. Yeah. That's been my experience so far, all the way from the owners to my peers, you know, folks, uh, you know, one of the things Rick said that the, the owner that I work for is mm -hmm. these are risky situations, but if your fit years fails, it'll be only because of poor luck. You know, he, he's really, he, he's wishing me all the best. And that means a lot to me. Right. So I think yeah. the confidence of your leaders in you helps um, your own confidence. And I've seen that throughout my career. And even as I leave Benko, I'm experiencing that again with the team's confidence in me that I can make this successful. So since you've been at, you're in a, you say you're an analytical person. Yeah. What are you hoping or planning from your corporate experience is going to help, is going to transfer well to you starting your own business? There's a ton. I mean, one of the things I've had the pleasure to do within Benko is launch some internal startups, right? And so mm -hmm. we've gotten through the experience of the importance of focus, focusing on building the market well before building the product, right? Like that's a, oh, a very... Yeah. <laughs> That's a very important takeaway we've learned and I've learned in my own experience is marketing and sales are really, really important more than just the technical side of things. Mm -hmm. uh, as I look at other parts of it, really just how to run 
a large organization or even a small organization, right? We are so focused. I'm so focused on building the right culture, making sure that people have a clear vision for what success is, how to give uh, people support to be successful, how to break down big problems in the small ones. Those are mm-hmm. all skills I've learned that I think are going to be very necessary to make this next journey successful. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. On the flip side, what do you think is maybe some of your corporate stuff that you may have to shed in order to be successful running your own business? Very good question. Obviously, you know, I have a large organization supporting me right now. I'm going to have to, one, get my hands a little bit more dirty than I've been used to for a while. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to that. It's, it's, but it's a change, right? I don't get my hands on with the technology nearly as often as I did earlier mm-hmm. in my career. And that's going to be a, a big change for me. Also is the the safety system, right? It's Right now, it's really easy. Um, the nice thing about working for a 90-year-old family business is there's a ton of stability, right? There's very little we can, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a good well, market. You've been, yeah, like how many cycles can you possibly go through in 90 years? All of them, multiple exactly. times. So right? you know how to get through different business cycles when you've been there yeah. done that. Yeah. And so it's sort of increasing my risk tolerance. And that comes with the jumping off the cliff part. That's where the fear comes from, right? Certainly the yeah. the stable thing to do is stay at Benko for another 10 or 20 years. And there was very little risk there but I would have had regrets. And so that's one of the things where I just have to get comfortable with the risks I'm taking and, and learn to adapt. Yeah. I think, you know, so many good insights here for leaders who are listening today and they're thinking about it. You know, a lot of leaders do have this ambition, but they don't necessarily, uh, they don't know where to start or they don't necessarily know how to face that fear and run through it. And I, I really like in those moments and what you said, some great examples Hey, lean back on your corporate roots to help launch this new business, but also be aware of the some of the potential downsides. I'm trying to think of some of the ones when I made the leap. One of the things that that I that surprised me was the importance of improvisation. Now you may think, well, we're we're, we're creative in corporate, but no, I mean, when you have your own business, your every day a lot of times is, is an improvisation. And I, at first I did not like that. Here's my plan. This is what I'm going to do. And I think when I got the mindset of, okay, this is my intention, but it may change. I mean, a, a great example is this actual podcast that you're on right now. This is a complete, I mean, this was not my business plan, but when we're, you know, we're training leaders out there, we're doing a lot of in-person work and the pandemic hits and all the speaking events I have go kaboom. And that was not on my, in my plan. I didn't have a contingency plan for that (laughs) specifically. So we did virtual for a while and that, and that, and we continued and we've grown that, but I knew a lot of the leaders were at home and uh, they weren't traveling. So it was a unique opportunity to take advantage of that because normally it's, it's hard to get business leaders like you with busy lives, uh, to do an interview, especially before the pandemic, when people in travel was at all, you know, all time high there, they were home and we got them on. And then it just sort of clicked interviewing them and, uh, amplifying their leadership message 
seemed to work. So we just started building up, building upon that. If someone said, Hey, do your business plan. I would still be th- th- this podcast would not have happened. Right. Um, but yeah, anyway, so uh, that's one thing that I think, you know, it's kind of helped me along the way from an improvisation standpoint. It sounds like you've got a lot of that inside of you anyway, just getting into artificial intelligence. Absolutely. I think the improvisation thing is important. I grew up just on the side as a military brat. So I lived 18 places before I graduated from high school. So got really used to sort of adapting and rolling with the changes that are happening in life. And I think that is one of the things that I'm going to lean on pretty hard as I make this change. Okay. So leaders thinking about adapting. You're obviously ninja at that with 18 different places. Yeah. I mean, that's y'all think about that. That's a different place every school year. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so what's a tip for people when it comes to adaptation? Be willing to uh, lean on the people around you. I mean, all the way back from, excuse me, from, you know, grade school till now, you can't do it alone, right? Like be willing Mm -hmm. to ask for help, be open to making relationships and friendships. Um, I find that people are generally good and they want to help when given the opportunity. I found that through my whole career. And so I think that's one of the things I plan on leaning on is I have a great extended network around me of people who are encouraging and cheering for me. And, and I think other people would find they have that as well if they if they look around and see all the people cheering for them. So what what's the secret to that? Because if you're 18 places in that many years, yeah. you're meeting a bunch of strangers constantly. Yep. <laughs> you're talking, but then you're talking about extending your network and building your team and all this. And they're like, is that enough time? Cause some people lived in one place <laughs> their first entire 18 years and they'll sit on, you know, come on here and say, I don't even have really a supportive network. So what, what's the secret? You know, I think it's, you know, in every one of those places I lived and to your point, I'm thinking back to high school, I had four high schools in four years, every one of them, I, I made friends, right. And I'm still in touch with friends from, from those schools. Hmm. I think, the trick is one to be authentic, two to be vulnerable and be like, "Hey guys, this is hard. Like, I'm, on, I'm you know, this is my fourth high school in four years. Uh, can I hang out? Right? Those are the kinds of things where make it, you eventually get to the point where you become good at opening yourself up to other people and being the one to reach out and make that connection. And that serves well all of us as professionals as well, right? So that's a transferable skill. That is definitely a transferable skill. So how long have you lived in your current location? So uh, once my father retired from the military, I went to college here in Northeast PA and my pendulum maybe swung too far the opposite direction. And I'm like, I'm not moving. And so <laughs> like, I've seen enough. I've lived in enough places. And yes, you have lived in enough places. I don't yeah. know what the average, what the average is for most people. I don't Artificial know. intelligence can tell us that, but it's That's 18 places. I agree. So I've been here in Northeast PA for 25 years and uh, really enjoy it. This is home now. Well, cool. Well, and so uh, I'm just thinking, thinking down through the different things when you're making, you know, make a, an executive is making a corporate transition. Uh, what What are the conversations been like with the family on that front? You, you know, whatever you can share to to yeah. Fortunate to have a wife who's a, a professional and you know keeps the healthcare thing moving for us. That's certainly one of the discussions. Is, okay, check insurance. All right, yeah. check insurance. Yeah. You know, one of those things is speaking about leaning on the people around you, reaching out to our financial advisor and saying, Hey, mm-hmm. check the math. Is this uh is this a crazy <laughs> plan or a good plan? Right. And yeah, so okay. helpful when they come back and say, good plan. Yep. Um, you know, even as my, my, 
my son, he's 13. He, uh, he's a little bit more skeptical. He's like, wait, you're going to be around all summer. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, most people think, oh, my kids would love to have me at home. Well, if your kids are teenagers, think again, perhaps. Yeah. But on the flip side, you know, we're going to take a two week trip and go tour some amusement parks and do some roller coasters together. And he he comes home almost every day and talks about that, how excited he is for us yeah. to go do that together. So yeah. that sort of makes it all worth it, too. Yeah. Oh, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I hear have the financial conversation. We did. Which is a great thing. Make sure you've got the insurance. If not, figure that plan out before you decide to make the transition. Absolutely. And how did you broach the topic with the bosses over at Benko and your team? That was difficult. Uh, it took about a week in between Christmas and New Year's with the family just to really think things through. I didn't want to make an emotional decision. I wanted this to be really long-term, rational decision. So really made that the focus of some PTO time, <clears throat> came back, wanted to make sure to do that conversation in person. This, to me, that's not a Zoom kind of conversation. So first time we got together back in person in January, I pulled him inside and asked if we could talk and shared the surprising news. I think the honest part is I think he was in denial at first. You know, the first reaction was, I hear you, but I'm not responding to this. I need time to consider and think yeah. about it. And so uh, once we got back together and he realized it was real, to, to his credit, he did everything he could to honestly retain me. But it was interesting. He came in with a sheet of of paper, like three or four pages on, on, on talking notes and all the reasons why I shouldn't leave. And then when we really got into it and I explained the health stuff going on and, and the real reasons behind it, he was like, oh, man. And he folded up his papers and he put them in his pocket and he's like... I'm really sad this is happening, but I'm really happy for you. And what can I do to be helpful to you on your exit out too? So from that point forward, he understood it was more of a life decision. It wasn't really about Benko. It was about other things going on. And at that point, he was as supportive as he possibly could have been. And I wanted to be supportive back, which is why I gave four months notice. And we've been working through it together. And so I, graciously, they've included me in hiring my own replacement, which is a really weird thing to go through if you've never done that going through resumes for the person who's going to take your job is a little bit messed up but it's been an interesting experience no one can ever live up to my to me in my role <laughs> that that's not been the i mean there, it's, there's some folks or who, the opposite like some over the opposite i'm like wow this guy's amazing <laughs> so he's like oh man they're gonna get rid of me anyway for this guy <laughs> Or or her, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, gals. yep. That that's fantastic. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, man, what what an interesting. I, I it's so cool to be on with an executive who's being so vulnerable and being so you know candid about the experience. I think a lot of leaders, you know, wonder about it, and so they wonder what you know what's going to be on the other side. And so, what are you hoping that your Benko legacy will be? And what are you hoping that your new endeavors legacy is going to be? Well, good questions. On the Benko side, it's it's interesting. As, as I announced it to my team, those are actually the hardest conversations. Telling my boss was difficult. Telling my direct reports, I found that to be even harder. And, and the peers, those are the people that sort of really you know lean on me. And the thing that surprised me is We've every large company has a lot of technology projects going on. Nobody was worried about any of that. The number one worry was, are we going to be able to maintain the culture that we've built here together? And so that felt 
pretty cool that everybody recognizes what we've built together. And yeah. two, really helped focus what I was looking for as we try to find my replacement, right? Which is we've built something great together. It can always get better. But the team's number one concern is let's not slide backward. That we really have had the opportunity to hire all the people that report to me directly. And uh, it's pretty neat. You know, I spent a lot of time with other large businesses and what we have built together is is pretty remarkable. And mm-hmm. so that's the legacy I hope to build is we've sort of become a progressive part of the company that teaches the, the rest of the company some interesting best practices, you know, how to use OKRs, why psychological safety is so important, how do you run five Y processes, like all those little tips and tricks are have really become embedded into the company's DNA. And I hope that is my legacy. So. Yeah, that sounds like it'll stand the test of time because it's, yeah. it's not based on just your direct reports. It's based right. on the impact that you're cur- that you've created in the processes. And yeah. So that's, that's what I hope for there on the flip side, really to make, um, a difference both for my family, but also to help guide where these technologies are going in a way that's going to be helpful to our society. I think there's a lot of, for as much excitement as there is around AI, there's maybe even more fear. Like when I talk to folks in my circle about what they think about this, I get fears and concerns almost more than I get excitement. And so making sure that we're building these tools in a way that is sustainable and is a net good for the world is really important to me because I think there's a lot of people out there that are going to make a scramble, try to make money on the stuff and, you know, don't worry about who it hurts along the way. And that is not the way I, I want to approach mm-hmm. this. So so you want to help shape the direction. Yes, very much. Where so. this is going. Yeah, that's a very noble cause. And they, there are so many ways that it can work out and there's so many ways that mm, starts exactly. to get a little yeah. bit crazy you know we've had a few people you know on to talk about we had the chief um we had seth dobrin on from ibm who uh was most recently the chief artificial intelligence officer there and now he's gone to work for uh, manush Xena, who's also been on the on the show mm who invented, or he's the one that came up with, he's, he was the general manager of IBM's Watson back in the day. Yeah. You had the Jeopardy, the yeah. Jeopardy winning robot. And now uh, he's, he's created the artificial intelligence Institute or that's the, yeah. uh, it's the, basically I, I forget the name exactly and I'll put it in the show notes, but it's an Institute that basically studies and is trying to shape it from maybe more of an academic standpoint of, of where the where artificial intelligence is headed. Absolutely. Um, Cause man, it can be so great, but it can also be an issue. It's such a pivotal point, right? And that now's the time to make the biggest impact for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we're relatively early on in this, but it's, but the time is accelerating so quickly due to the technology. Yeah. Agreed. Um, what's your greatest hope for AI and what do you think the, or maybe start with the biggest, do you think a danger when it uh, when it comes to AI? Then maybe what's the what's the greatest possibility there? I, I am for one concerned about uh, deep fakes. Right, there are so many folks surprised. Mm. Even though GPT Chat GPT is the fastest growing product of all time, there are so many folks that don't even aren't even aware of what it's capable of. Let alone what you can do in terms of synthesizing, you know, audio and video. And I, I worry a little bit for our society when people start to realize they can't trust what they're hearing and seeing. 
you know, we have not really quite figured out how to prove that something is real versus something that was synthesized. And that's yes. a little bit scary. Um, so I think there's a lot of work going on, a lot of good work from a lot of companies working on that, along with the AI alignment, making sure that when AIs are aligned with civilization's goals and working towards good ends. Where I'm excited, though, is on its capacity to help people. Um, it's so amazing seeing, you know, anyone who has children has seen that how they grew up with technology around them and how that is completely different than how you and I grew up with technology, right? Like, yeah. um, my son, you know, had an iPad in early age and he's a, literally a native into the digital technologies. And the, the neat thing yes. for me is seeing how he's now growing up with generational AI as part of his life, right? Like he's similar to your daughter, you know, he, he's into art and he's into mm -hmm. using Midjourney to, to to collaborate with the AI to build his artwork. If you would have told me five years ago that, you know, my eighth grade son would be using AI to do art with in the way he is, I, I wouldn't have even been able to conceptualize this as an outcome. And so when I think about the impact it's going to have on his life and, you mm -hmm. know, your daughter's life and all these other people, I get really excited as a society about how much more we can do together. And that's pretty cool. Mm. So good. So many possibilities. Glad to have you on the case, Mike. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. So, so how, starting to wrap this up, what's your parting thought for our listeners today, Mike? Follow your dreams, right? Um, that's the big thing that's come. You only live once. And, you know, if, if I hadn't had this medical thing that made me reevaluate my priorities, I, I doubt that I ever would have had the, the, the push to step back and look at things and decide the right direction forward. And I think that's valuable. So in some ways, I'm really thankful for the diagnosis I got because it gives me an opportunity to step back, figure out what's most important, and then direct all of my attention and effort towards those things. And I think that always would have been a helpful thing to do. I just didn't have the, the push to do it earlier on. I love it. Hmm. Inspiring and motivating interview today, Mike. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Ben. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.